Support for this podcast comes from Blackline and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Jackie Barry Hamilton, CFO of Intronus, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is Episode 237. How is a financier? Are you driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? Hello, it's Jack Sweeney with another CFO guest for you. This episode, we speak to CFO Kathy Moore, who has served as a CFO for a number of different technology startups in the Washington, D.C. area. I've been asking myself lately, what makes a quality interview? And in my mind, a successful interview is where you, the listener, can get a sense of the guest's uh, character. And I, and I think we achieved that with this interview, as well as with our last interview, episode 236, where we interviewed uh, CFO Gene Prather. I, I want to mention here that I sense some striking similarities between Kathy and Gene. And yes, they're both uh, career CFOs, and they're both women, and they've built their uh, careers in specific regions of the country. Uh, but it's the character that sets these two people apart. Where if you were a business owner or were in private equity and you were looking for a finance leader who would not only have the financial smarts required to build a business, but also the emotional makeup and temperament to hire manage and lead people. I, I think our interview with Kathy and, and with Gene reveal that side of finance leadership. And this can be challenging at times to, to put into words, but I think the word is character. Our interview with Kathy begins after these words from our sponsor. Many accounting and finance professionals are facing a sizable obstacle these days. In this age of data enlightenment, their financial close processes leave no time for data analysis. The very activity that opens the door to new opportunities and career advancement. Blackline has the answer. By automating, centralizing, and streamlining financial close operations, Blackline customer organizations are now ready for the data-centric world, allowing their finance and accounting professionals to open the door to new opportunities. To learn more, visit blackline.com forward slash CFO. Hello, we're speaking with Kathy Moore, the new CFO for Thycotic. It's a tech security firm, of course. Kathy, welcome. Thank you for having me. So we look forward to exploring with you some of what's uh, driving Thakotic's business today. But first, you've been a finance leader for a, a string of companies in the telecom and SaaS space. And as always, we love to kick off our discussion by having you share some of the early experiences that you believe prepared you for a career as a finance leader. Um, thanks for uh, uh, asking that question. I've actually been in technology my whole career. My One of my first jobs after graduating college, I got an accounting degree, passed my CPA exam, but I did not go into public accounting. I went to work for MCI, 
and it was right at the time the Telecom Act had been passed, so it was a very exciting time in the industry. And my first job was in revenue reporting and business analysis. So I really learned how to build financial models, profitability models, and I really had to understand how the business worked, which required me to meet with all of the different departments in the company and interview them and really learn how to analyze a business. So I feel like that job at MCI for me was the building my critical thinking, my analytical skills, and then my computer skills. The next job, the MCI job, enabled me to get a position as the senior manager of strategic planning at a startup competitive local exchange carrier. And at, this was in 2000, and we ultimately uh, took the company public. So during my time there, we raised $800 million of capital in the form of equity debt, and we eventually did an IPO. And so in that job, I really learned uh, the importance of uh, managing expectations. I ran the group that provided the guidance for the Wall Street investors. I did all of the financial modeling for the uh, for raising money and prepared all the presentations. So I really got strong skills around how to raise capital. But additionally, I took on another role there as a VP of finance and was responsible for operational functions. So in addition to all the corporate finance experience I gained at the company, I actually also gained a lot of experience on how to build a team and processes and functions. So that second position um, led me to a third role as a VP of finance in a turnaround situation. And I would not have gotten the role at the third company had I not worked at Net2000, the CLEC. Um, the, the COO of Net2000 went to become the CEO of this company, and he needed to hire a person to come in and help him do a turnaround of, of a company where the, the controller and the CFO had left. So pretty much it was, it was uh, a mess. And he wanted to bring in someone that he knew that was resourceful and had um, the ability to roll up the sleeves and dig in and clean things up and put systems in place, hire teams, and and wouldn't be daunted by that task. So had I not had that last role, uh, I wouldn't have been able to move into the CFO spot. And so my niche, I've been the first CFO now in four different technology startups that are um, VC or private equity private equity-backed companies, and I think it takes a certain skill set as a CFO to be successful in these types of companies, and it's what I really love to do and have a passion to do. All right. I'd love to uh, uh, sort of drill down on that a little bit with you. What is it, that, that skill set that you have? It's such a high-stress environment often. What, what is that skill set? You definitely need to be a good leader of people. Because as you are growing uh, a company, your success is really about hiring the right people underneath you. And a lot of the success in my career 
I would tell you is about the being coming really good at hiring talent. Uh, so that is absolutely uh, an essential skill. And then you really need to understand how to um, that you are just as responsible for reporting numbers to the CEO as you are to the investors. So you have a fiduciary responsibility to two different uh, groups of people, and sometimes they're not always uh, in agreement. So you have to have um, confidence and um, not be afraid to say uh, no and push back when you have to. Uh, those are some of the – I honestly think the main thing is the pace. And as a CFO in a early-stage company, a lot of times there's not a COO brought in yet. So I would say that a lot of times people, when I tell them my just job description, they're like, so you're pretty much in charge of everything that ha doesn't have to do with selling or um, developing the code. So I am responsible for HR and for facilities, all the lease negotiations, um, just many, many things that keep the business running that wouldn't be directly related to selling and product development. So you also have to have a, a, a very wide breadth of knowledge, but you still have to be deep in each area. You can't be you can't be wide and thin as a CFO of a startup company. You have to have a lot of depth in all those areas. I like the fact you touched upon hiring and said you were good at hiring. What is that? What is it that you do well when it comes to finding the right people and even, I guess, onboarding them is such a key part of this. But what is it do you think that you are more thorough at, perhaps, or when it comes to hiring? I'm very thorough at writing the job description and making sure that not only is it do you say what you're going to do, but what skills it would take to be successful at it. And and then making sure that when you're screening, the behavioral screening process, being a good interviewer and hire, hiring people could be a full-time job for anyone. So um, I've just put a lot of time and effort into um, understanding how to write a well-written job description that will make it easy for the people that are in the interviewing process to screen those candidates and making sure that we're asking the right questions to ensure that the not only can they technically do this job, but it's always the soft skills and the behaviors and traits that are hard for people to interview for. So you really have to ask situations that will reveal those traits. Um, and so it's a skill. And I, I understand the importance of it, so I, I've always made it a priority within any company I work to make sure that we have a really strong recruiting resource that um, is good at doing that job and able to help the managers that work under me write really good job descriptions and um, making sure that we you could if you write a good job description, you can screen a lot of people out that won't even want to do the job and you'll, you'll get a better pool of candidates. I suspect that along the way at a number of these startups that you brought in key hires, such as perhaps a controller or even the top HR person. My two prior companies, I've been, been involved in really recruiting a COO. Um, 
uh, the controller who directly reported to me, the HR um, director that reported to me. So I've actually been involved in hiring um, even on the engineering and software development team, all different um, all different groups, the leaderships of those team of those te- different groups. Want to get to psychotic? Of course, you arrive here. What is that next threshold you'd like to accomplish here? So I am, as I said, this will be now my fourth time of being the first CFO that was brought in after um, a company got financing. And so at Psychotic, I was so excited to come to this company because Inside Venture Partners was the investor. And this is a very rapidly growing uh, company. So the challenge for me in this role is this is a um, scale, how do we scale and how do we um, grow the business to capture the market opportunity that's in front of us. So, you know, I've been in other scenarios where it's been a turnaround um, or it was a very competitive market in telecom. But in this case, what my challenge is, and I'm excited to do, is I have to build the financial function out to um, provide support to the rest of the organization organization to grow and scale psychotic. Um, they doubled, we doubled our revenue just in the last year and we doubled the amount of employees. So as you can imagine, my job now is to um, make sure the infrastructure is in place to support that amount of employees and that amount of revenue. So um, I, I came to this company because I was excited about the product which we'll talk about, I was very excited to work with this management team. One thing I know after this many years of working in startup companies, the key to success is a very strong management team, which doesn't mean just a bunch of A players. It means a group of people that work well as a unit. And the other team members have worked together before and have had a successful track record together. I'm actually the only one on the team that hasn't worked together, so I'm probably like the wild card to them. But um, that was a really important thing to me because I know how important that is to the success. And then having insight as the financial backer, it just to me was such a great opportunity. And then the product is uh, in a part of cyber security that's a relatively new area, and it's it there's not – there's competition, but there's just there's a ton of opportunity and more than enough for two or three companies in the market. So, um, let's talk a little bit about that. What is the the competitive edge then that that these companies' offerings um, have an advantage in the market? Would you say? Okay, so the to, if you think about software, a lot of times when you're selling an enterprise software solution, it, it can be a very lengthy install process with a lot of professional services and requires a lot of resources from the company internally to get your application up and running. And um, and, and so, some you know, that can be a distraction. At, to, so this solution, it's privileged account management software that is, um, say, it, it's basically automating the process by which IT admins protect your privileged account management accounts in your network, which is the generally the accounts in your network that have the most uh, access. So if, if they get compromised, you, you are very exposed. Uh, but this software is installed and up and running within a day. So our 
our value proposition compared to our competition is it's easier to easier faster time to ROI. It's easy to install, highly intuitive, high adoption rate by the users once it's implemented and high value uh, to the organization in terms of the uh, cyber protection it's providing. So really it's just we we have a very uh, user-friendly product and our IT admins love it. The people that uh, use it are our best references. What are some of the key metrics then that you rely on to uh, get a read on how the company's performing and growing? So part of my job will be actually building out metrics, but right now I will say that the company uses Salesforce as the CRM, and we have an amazing marketing organization, and they already have uh, really good con- good command of the metrics on their side in terms of their lead gen. What I look at now every day when I'm coming in is the dashboard that shows our sales pipeline activity. Um, starting from the amount of leads that get created, what leads get converted to opportunities, how many proposals uh, were made, all of those pipeline metrics that are the forward-looking indicators of what's going to happen with revenue. And then obviously I'm always looking at what opportunities were cl- got closed, what revenue did we sell, and and when of those, which ones are upsells to existing customers, how many new customers, um, and looking at renewal, so renewal rates, those are the things I look at daily. And then I would look at the normal things the CFO would look at on a monthly basis as far as the, the cash conversion cycle. And in, the, in our business, you know, cash is very important because you have to, you know, we're growing and scaling. So making sure that we're funded for this growth is a big part of my job. So I, I'm always looking at those metrics. DSOs, DPOs, working capital uh, metrics. You know, one of the really interesting things, I'm looking at your bio, and what I think is interesting is that you're from the uh, D.C. area, and you're able to build your career from one technology startup. And I'm aware there's a a Netplex down there, and certainly Mm -hmm. uh, you didn't have to leave your community there. It seems like you've always been or you built your career down in the Washington area. Similarly, uh, Gene Prather, uh, CFO of eBuilder, built her career in the Miami-Dade area, which surprised me. One technology startup after another. And, um, you know, I mean, it, what, what, what I'm thinking is, you know, it's funny because you think you have to be in Silicon Valley to uh, successfully go from one startup to another. And here you're doing it in the D.C. area quite successfully and, and staying on the finance track and, and in the same realm. Uh, I, I have been very um, fortunate in my career um, because I've been successful and been able to build upon one success. And then, you know, once you have demonstrated you know how to um, be the first CFO in a startup and and have a successful outcome, it leads you to your next opportunity. And I've been recruited by VCs as well as CEOs. So I have different people that will contact me, some of the investors that were on the boards of other companies and say, hey, I have this opportunity. Are you interested in it? And 
uh, you've been able to since MCI, which I guess was right there in the, uh, of course, headquartered in the uh, yeah. DC area, which is where you got your kickoff. Yeah. Um, so you've been able to build uh, your career and not have to move around the country and uh, perhaps make compromises that um, would have been difficult in, in both personal and professional sense. Exactly. Um, I'm wondering, too, about the venture uh, community, and I want to uh, ask this. There's been a lot uh, saying how it's uh, a male-dominated uh, the venture, the VC world. As a successful finance leader, I think you'd have a, an interesting take on whether a uh, woman can build careers uh, in the VC world. Uh, it, well, I will say that there's been many, the majority of my positions, I've been the only C-level woman executive in most of my companies, and on our boards, there's never been a woman board member in all of the companies I've worked at. I mean, I so I have to say, you're not off base now, but I will say that there's been, in the firms themselves, um, the associates that I work with from the different firms, there are women in, in, in roles and VCs and PE companies, but it's male dominated. That would not be an accurate statement. Yeah, and it doesn't. It's not a Silicon Valley uh, phenomenon necessarily. It's it's VCs uh, community at large. I don't know if um, I don't I I don't know statistics, but I can just tell you I don't think it is. Uh, I, I think it's more a more of an industry versus a geographic. Uh, when we, we when we went public and we uh, at Net 2000 the CELEC in 2000 and we did our um, IPO roadshow, you know we went around and met with all the different uh, you know investment firms to figure out who we wanted to be our um, partner and it ended up being Goldman Sachs. But there was no, I was the only woman in all those meetings. I, on that note, I actually participate in actively a lean in circle in D.C., which is uh, to mentor women to get into science, technology, engineering, and math field. So I do have a passion around empowering and inspiring women to move into roles. Um, and, and particularly, I focus on the finance area because that's my background. So that's my way of, um, you know, advocating that women try to lean in and do more in, in the, the corporate finance and um, investor uh, field. Is that a uh, lean-in circles? Is that a, uh, a nationwide phenomenon where around the book, of course, yeah. the, uh, women are gathering to uh, organize in some, some way? Yeah, exactly. And there's that, so Cheryl Schamberg wrote the book, and then – there's a, there's actually a soft they, they they launched a website and gave us a tool that you could create your own local circle and and so then people can meet formally or informally and and we actually in our group have formal meetings quarterly and we invite speakers to come in and then informally we have groups that um, meet on different topics to, you know, mentor and give feedback to, you know, people in the circle. So if someone wants advice on something related to finance or legal, they can come to me. If I need advice on something related to something, they're – so, yeah, it's just an informal way for women to network and empower um, and mentor younger women coming up in the workforce. 
Well, great. I'm glad uh, we touched upon this. Um, usually this is when I ask for a moment of strategic insight, but perhaps that's uh, in part one. Uh, but let me ask it again. Um, we're looking for that sort of aha moment where uh, during the course of your finance career, uh, you experience some strategic insight given your lines of sight from the uh, finance uh, function. And this may or may not be related to your current organization, but what would you share with us? So I've had a lot of aha moments, um, but one I wanted to actually talk about, and it's more about my leadership than maybe specifically to my finance leadership, but I think it's so important to anybody that wants to be in a C-level role. It, it relates to a story when I was brought in to a company to be the first-time CFO. It was a software company. Uh, shortly after I got there, the CEO pulled me aside and said, we have a team, of, and it's our managed service team, and we have an issue. We have sold we have we have sold um, orders and we have this backlog and it's getting worse, not better. And the team of people, uh, we need you to take over this managed service team and determine how you can make it more efficient and reduce this backlog because we're going to lose these orders. And uh, so I did, and I went into this um, thinking. Uh, uh, okay, I'm going to give these people, you know, clearly defined goals and deadlines, and I'm going to hold them accountable, and I'm going to get this backlog cleared up. And my initial uh, style of leading, um, when I went into this job, I was thinking, okay, I just need to give them deadlines and hold them accountable and, you know, clearly uh, written uh you know, role description, and within six months of leading this team, all a lot of the things that I had previously done that were successful were not working, and this was my first real introduction, or this is when I had my aha moment about the idea of having multiple generations in the workforce, and you hear it a lot today about people uh, talk about managing millennials. Um, and I honestly think that the, the millennials are getting a bad rap when I hear some of what people say. I think to myself, well, maybe it's you're not a good leader. But um, during this time is when I really started to focus on building my leadership skills versus my financial skills. And I had a very strong technical background, but I realized that, now that I had been elevated to this C-level position and I was overseeing people, the people were as important as these other technical aspects of my job. And I would say at this moment I switched my style of leadership to a servant leadership model uh, or some would call it a leader-leader model versus a leader-follower. And I really started focusing on I want to develop people that are leaders in their roles. And I want to start developing people that um, a, a, a group where there's trust that if they make a mistake because they took a risk that they'll uh, not that they'll get rewarded for that behavior, not in trouble. And it was just the beginning for me of changing my style of leadership and really focusing on ensuring there's the right people in the right seats doing the right things. Everyone, People say that, but also um, I really do believe strongly that happy employees equal happy clients, 
equal profits in that order. And there's other there's other great CEOs that I admire that believe that. And you know, everyone talks about Southwest as an example of that. Um, and so that's been something that's been a passion of mine since that aha moment that that command leader follower model is doesn't produce the results that you want as a company uh, for a lasting success. You really want to get employees that are engaged in the missions that you don't have to you don't have to be in a role where you're constantly managing them. Your job is where you're mentoring and coaching them and honestly that's a lot more fun place to be as a leader uh, versus when you're having to have coaching and counseling discussions all the time because people aren't performing to your expectations. So what would be the metrics that you pay attention to when it comes to uh, the workforce or talent? So for me, working with um, working with our um, HR lead here, actually, you've, I've heard um, you guys have talked about net promoter score, and we do use that for our customers. We're going to do the same thing for our employees and ask, survey them and say, would you refer someone to work here? Because that, that's a really good question to find out. If they say no, you want to know why. Um, but in terms of, um, you know, the traditional metrics that you would look at is terms of employee turnover. But we really try to look at those metrics in terms of what roles is there the highest turnover? Or is there a certain department or leader where there's a higher turnover? So if there's if you drill down into these numbers and the turnover metrics are telling you a story, you have to figure out why is this particular role in the company people don't want to do it? What are, what, what, what are we not providing this? What, what have we done wrong here that we set them up for failure? And see, that's where as a servant leader, you, you approach things from that angle of, did we give them everything they needed to be successful in this role and assume that they're not the problem first? A lot of times people approach it the other way around. We look at it by the department and then also we obviously, you know, do uh, quarterly goal setting. So we manage people and have expectations, you know, depending how long they've been on that role how are they performing in, in, in towards their goals? Because someone's a new hire is going to be at a different uh, pace of learning than someone that's been here for four or five years. So you have to create the metrics that you're measuring based on the job and the length of time someone's been in the job. And in a leadership role, it's what you do, not what you say, that creates the culture. So um, for me, I you know, I feel it's really important that as a team we understand that we are all in agreement what are the uh, behaviors and traits that are important to us in our company and that we are hiring and screening for those behaviors and and we are rewarding and recognizing for those as well. So we have core values and the performance management system has a link to core the core values we're now here this is something we're building but in previous companies I worked at my role I felt in culture 
was through my H, the HR lens, it was providing the platform for the management team to be able to manage performance in a way that it was not difficult for them and in this onerous process at the end of the year, but something that was a tool that it, it made it, you know, enabled them to manage performance and we implemented um, a automated performance management system at my last company. We, we used work.com, which was part of Salesforce. And so to me, my role as CFO HR umbrella is, is providing the tools and the uh, infrastructure for the rest of the management team to be able to manage performance in an ongoing way, not just this once a year annual review cycle that is is by the time you do it, people can't remember what they did, you know, the rest of the year. The tool we were using made it easy for our managers to coach and give feedback, and it made them easy. It made it easy for them to set goals and link the individual goals to their goals, which linked up to the company goals. And everyone, you know, it just it provided that transparency. Like everyone in the company knew what else everyone else's goals were. And and I do believe it created uh, engagement because people had a better understanding of what they did and how it would impact um, the end result because of it was in the context of their goal linked to a company goal versus us getting up and saying, we want to grow revenue 25% and you need to reduce costs. When you start talking to the workforce in terms of P&L metrics, they're not engaged or they don't they don't link to those numbers like finance people get that but it doesn't inspire great performance from the you know frontline workers in roles that are not financial so through this system that we developed it enabled us to get their engagement because they understood how their job created those results okay well, we're going to go to the mentoring round. We already had such great uh, mentoring advice along the way, but uh, to inspire and mentor aspiring finance leaders, we have a few quick questions for you. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? So for me personally, coming from a background where I was always responsible for one of my first jobs at MCI was I was on this team that implemented an executive information system, and it was so difficult back then to create an executive dashboard and we had to get people to create numbers that manually and then they would enter them into a system and then by the time that the system presented the numbers they were already outdated so for me the thing that has been so fantastic in the last I don't know five years is just the integration of your sales, like Salesforce integrates to Intact, which is our accounting system, and then you can integrate it with another, like, budgeting system. My Adoptive Insights is one that integrates. So for a finance leader, it's you are definitely spending less time scrubbing data and more time analyzing it, and it makes it enables us to provide much more meaningful data to the other teams and every, you've heard people say actionable data, but it's true. Like, I can provide real-time metrics that will enable someone in another team to maybe make a decision about changing a strategy or 
uh, reallocating their resources because of the data that we can provide. And in the past, that just really wasn't possible. And if it was possible, it's, you were spending ridiculous amounts of money implementing these, you know, systems and trying to get them integrated. So that's that, that's my and I'm an I, I love doing data analysis. So for me, I, being able to go into Salesforce and run all my own numbers is great. What do you wish someone had told you at the start of your CFO career? Spend as much time developing your leadership skills as your technical skills. Because ultimately, the higher up you get, you have to get results through your people. And in order to do that, you have to be a good leader, not just a good technical accountant or forecast or financial analyst. That that would be the one thing. What personal habit do you believe has contributed to your professional success? I would say my desire to continually learn. And I have mentors myself, so, um, you know, always trying to figure out who's done it really well and ask them, ask them how they did it. So I think that's just my desire to continually learn and know that I – and always know that there's something I don't know. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Uh, yeah, so I, I would recommend the book Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. Um, I believe this book really, when I heard it, it kind of was like, wow, all these things that I've been doing uh, but hadn't been able to really put, you know, a name to it, uh, I think this book really represents my belief in how to, how to lead a team. So I would definitely recommend that book. Finance thought leaders don't go anywhere. We're about to ask our finance leader guest for their business priorities over the next 12 months. But first, permit us 30 seconds to thank our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Okay, our final question. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? So for me and Psychotic, because we are growing so rapidly, um, we actually have to move to a new office. So finding a great office space to um, promote the collaborate and um, great culture that we have and uh, cash management, just making sure that the company is funded to scale and grow. And then another big piece for me is uh, we are expanding internationally and so building the processes for the sales and billing function to um, support our international growth, which is a big opportunity for us. Kathy Moore, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you for having me.
Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. At CFO Thought Leader, we wanted to give you, the listener, some added clout when it comes to selecting next season's CFO guests. We call it Listener's Choice. And in the months ahead, our Listener's Choice guests will enjoy some added box office clout as we advance the CFOs you most want to hear from into next season's CFO lineup. To learn more about CFO Thought Leader's Listener's Choice, visit us at cfothoughtleader.com or go ahead and email me at jack at cfothoughtleader.com. Hey, one last thing. It's no secret when we originated CFO Thought Leader, it was with iPhone users in mind. Android users, we have neglected you. And so to make amends, we just released a CFO Thought Leader mobile app just for you. It's now ready for download on Google Play and Amazon Android Markets. No matter what world you're part of, thank you for listening. <laughs>